It is always great to see you. I'm always geeked out by the faces that I get to communicate Jesus with. One pastor told me that when you preach, all it is is talking to your friends about Jesus, your best friend. So good to see you. When I was growing up, one of the biggest comedians that really influenced me was Tim Allen. And the reason was is because he had this show called Home Improvement, which was a double entente. It not only talked about how you can remodel your home uh, with Tim the Tool Man Taylor and Tool Time, and that's a lot of T's, but also focused on his family, whether it be marriage or kids. This was Tim the Tool Man Taylor. It was a wonderful cast. If you remember watching the show, you knew Wilson, the neighbor, who you never saw his full face, uh, just behind the fence all the time. You had this guy. Yeah, heartthrob. Anyone have his poster in your bedroom? Uh, You don't have to answer honestly. That's fine. I know you did. Justin Taylor Thomas, I tell you what. And then you had Al Borland. He was hipster before it was cool with the beard and the flannel and right, you know. Just awesome. But to know home improvement is to know a certain brand of tools. And that brand is Binford. (laughs) (laughs) To give you an example of what Binford is, it's like if you had a saw this big, Binford was this big. If the power tool had this much voltage, Binford was double. And so you saw Tim with these tools, and I never saw him actually use it properly. Usually he was just getting hurt or hurting someone else and creating a whole bunch of mess with the Binford tools. Well, I want to talk a little bit about tools with you. I was doing some research about um, some very useful tools. I came across a list of the 50 most useful tools. Uh, here was number one. It's a channel lock with a lot of different heads. You have a flat head, and you have Phillips, and you have Star, and maybe some of you have something like this. I was looking at other tools, and I saw electric cords. Everyone needs a power cord. And I saw a basic hammer. You always you need a hammer. And it reminded me of this Kmart box set. Kmart doesn't exist, but for $40, I bought a bunch of tools, and I was ready to go. Shows you how handy I am. But this whole discussion reminded me of this one tool I bought when I was doing a plumbing project. It looks like this. And I was in the midst of this plumbing project uh, based on YouTube and showing me what I needed. I think this is for a wrench uh, that, 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 you know, will twist the, the actual pipe. But I have no idea because I never used it. And now it's on my shelf, and I spent a good $15 on this shiny, chromy tool that I will probably never use. If, if there's a plumber here, you can have my wrench. And I wanted to ask you, though, because maybe your garage is filled with these kind of wrenches, how valuable is a tool you never use? It's got no value, doesn't it? I wasted $15 at Ace Hardware for the shiny chrome thing that I will never hopefully use. I bring this up because I don't know what you know about the church of God, but here we have a collection of tools. I should be careful how I say that. (laughs) We have hammers and saws and channel locks and power drills. We have people very gifted by the Lord above in so many incredible regards, and some of you are like Binford. Some of you are so bright and so powerful, you're dangerous. But the question is, what should we do? 
You know, I love the, the, the parable that Jesus told of the master with the talents. And, and, and remember this parable from our first lesson. He gave to one five and to another two and to another one. And it kind of reminds me of a channel lock that has five uses and then a hammer that has two you can pound and take out and then a, a power cord that has one but still very useful. And while the five and the two, they got to work, the one did not get to work and didn't please God. The one was, was supposed to be an instrument used in this world and, and said, no, I, I'm not going to do that. And, and so just buried his gift, never using it. And it didn't please God. And what I found was our first takeaway. That a tool is only as valuable when you put it to use. Do you know God has gifted you? In fact, if you're uh, trying to figure out your gifts, I know of no better resource than maybe uh, this book called Strengths Finders. Uh, it's something that we've used for our staff. It's something that we use for our leadership. If you want to get an idea of how God made you and the certain proclivities that he gave you, uh, Strength Finders is a wonderful resource uh, that will give you some ahas. But I also love the premise of this book because this book would tell you that a strength is only a strength if you use it for others. If you have all those proclivities and have all of those abilities, but you're never putting them to use for the sake of someone else, it isn't actually a strength. It's more just like a tool on the shelf. It has no value because you're not using it. Now bring this up because today we're concluding our series, Dangerous Prayers. And I hope you've enjoyed it so far. Uh, dangerous Prayers. And, and first of all, I'd remind you, if you don't have much of a prayer life, have fun talking to God. It's so amazing that the Almighty wants to have a conversation. It's so amazing when he answers some specific prayers and just wows you uh, by showing you he's really watching your life and listening to you. Have fun with your prayer life. But this is a series that calls your prayer life up to refine it. One that says out of all the conversations we could have, what are the nobler, the grander, the bigger conversations I could be talking about with God? And so in the first week we said, well, God, if you would make me bold to proclaim you or live for you, that would be good. Last week we said, God, show me your will. Thy will be done, not my own. And today we have a simple prayer. It is, Lord, would you use me? Would you max out my life? And it's dangerous. Because if you're honest about that prayer, he might get you out of your comfort zone. He, he might lead you into paths you, you, you didn't think you'd ever go if you're legitimately saying often, Lord, use me. Well, a leader in, dis, in the discussion today is the Apostle Paul. And, and I love Paul a little about him. He wrote most of the New Testament, and the New Testament records his prayer life as well. And what's interesting about Paul's prayer life is that he is never known for praying for earthly circumstances. Like if you read the Bible, you never find him uh, praying, you know, Lord, um, please help Betty get a job. Lord, please, you know, heal George. Lord, if you could provide safe travel and a good economy, Lord, that would be great. Now, it's not wrong to pray for those things, by the way. However, Paul shows us an exemplary prayer life because he's concerned with spiritual matters. His prayers have spiritual concerns. And in fact, sometimes when he was telling people to pray for him, he said, when, you, when it comes to me, would you help me and pray for me that I would preach both clearly and boldly? about the name of Jesus. And that has resonated with me when I consider my goals for preaching. I want to be both clear and bold for the sake of Jesus. And today we see a prayer that he has for Christians in Colossae. And if you sum up this prayer, it's basically, Lord, use them, but he says it way more eloquently. 
And these are the words that we get to consider. And as we turn to Colossians chapter 1, some things we do in honor of the word of God is every now and then we stand. Could I have you stand today in honor of the fact that God is actually using these words to direct us to? So God says through the words of Paul, For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will, through all wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives, so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way. I love this phrase. It just stuck with me all week. Live a life worthy of the Lord. Bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might. I don't have a lot of time to dig into this, but if you want to walk out and be used by God, it's not going to be about your strength. It's going to be about the Spirit and Him empowering you to do things you thought you could never do. So that you might have great endurance and patience, giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of His holy people in the kingdom of light. For He has rescued us from the dominion of darkness, brought us into the kingdom of the sun He loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. The reason I love this prayer is because sometimes when I'm praying with other people, they, they respond and say, Pastors, there's something that I can pray for when it comes to you. And it's usually this, that I would live worthy. Worthy of the name Christian and worthy of the name Pastor. I have a great opportunity. Would you pray that I could live worthy of the God I represent? That's my prayer. And I encourage it to be yours as well. Could you turn to your neighbor and just say, let's live worthy? Let's live worthy. Let's live worthy. Let's do that. You may be seated. You may be seated. Can we have some fun in the house of God? Is that all right? I'm still convinced. I'm still convinced that your best moments should be in this place. If Jesus is Jesus. Still convinced. So I want to talk about um, when I'm comfortable. Do you know what it's like when work is done and you finally get to sit down and relax? And maybe for you it's a couch, for me it's a sectional. And when I'm really comfortable, there is little that can get me off the sectional. For example, I'll be there and I might hear some noises upstairs and the dryer's going off and the washing machine is done. I might hear some bumps and some bangs. No crying? Okay, we're, we're good. And, and, and there's little that will draw me off the, off the sectional. Um, that's the same if someone rings the doorbell. I love Amazon Prime. Oh, yep, it's about time. Thank you for the package. I don't have to get up. Plus, my neighbors usually announce before they come, so I don't have to get that doorbell. I'm good. What's even greater as I get old is having kids. And it's another reason to stay on the couch, because you can just tell them to do it, right? Uh, Nadia and Bella both know, hey, can you get Dad's phone? It's by the fridge. Uh, computer bag's upstairs. I'm really comfortable. Thanks a lot. Good reason to have kids. But there is one reason that I will get off the sectional. And that is the sound of a toilet running after it's supposed to have stopped. Anyone there? And there's only one reason that I run to this running toilet, and because one time I didn't. And one time, I still remember clear as day, I was renting in New Lenox. Glad it was in my house. Anyway, and, um, <laughs> and, uh, and I, I heard this noise, and I didn't know what it was then. And then I didn't do anything about it. And I was sitting in the, in the family room. I saw water coming down from the lights. Now, if you've ever had that experience of water coming through the ceiling, it's not a fun time. And so that made me run upstairs to figure out, yes, the toilet's still running. And it was clogged. And my bathroom was filled with water to this degree. 
and it's a problem. So there is something that will disturb me enough to get up. I will run for a running toilet. I bring this up because is there anything that is so disturbing to you it compels you to act? Maybe it's something your children are doing. And, and it's so itchy, you got like a twitch. They need to stop. And so you go, right? You're so disturbed. Uh, it could be simple things like a, a haircut or a color. You are so frustrated with your burnt ends. You are so frustrated with your crown of splendor called gray that you're going to get it solved. Sometimes it's big causes. I consider the founding of, of this movement, uh, Mothers Against Drunk Driving. Why was it formed? It was formed because there was one lady who was so disturbed that her daughter Carly had died age 13 and, and I got to do something so that no one is experiencing the moment that I'm in. I'm disturbed and so I do something. When we pray the prayer, Lord, use me, what's really interesting, and, and this is a takeaway, is that sometimes to be used by God, it is to be disturbed by something we see as wrong. And that's what is often compelling us to action. In fact, when, when Paul was praying for the people, look, look at what he was praying for. I ask that you would be filled with the knowledge of his will. And so basically, as we're in the Lord, he will show us what pleases him and what displeases him. And don't be surprised if he shows you what's wrong, what's messed up, what needs to be worked out. Bill Hybels, he, he coined this phrase, holy discontent. To have a holy, untwitching uh, kind of movement that I, I got to do something because that's wrong. And because of this, sometimes uh, we're disturbed enough to actually take action, to move to a place, to invest in a thing, to give more than ever thought I would give in order for me to be the solution. Do you know, amazing love was formed by disturbed people. I really need to be better at this. Um, <laughs> we were disturbed that there were people who are lost. We are disturbed that you might have a neighbor, you might have a family member, there might be a whole household in this community who is locked in fear and in guilt and in shame, and we are disturbed because we know they could come into the light. We know if they met Jesus, they could know a peace that surpasses understanding, have a joy that lasts for eternity, and be called a son or a daughter of the Most High God. That disturbs us, and we do something about it. We're disturbed because we do believe in eternity, that everyone lives somewhere forever. And if it's true what Jesus said about both heaven and hell, then there is not a person not my worst enemy that I want in that other place. I want everyone, my worst enemy and everyone in between and those closest to me to join me in heaven where there is no mourning or crying or sadness or pain for everything else is done away with. Why, I'm a pastor. I just want to party with you guys forever. I want to do that forever. I want to bring a lot of people with me. What about you? So yeah, we're disturbed. In fact, our, our church, we, we're disturbed by lost people, and I think it's a good disturbance. In fact, the drumbeat we've been marching to is a story that Jesus told. The story went something like this, that once there was a shepherd, and the shepherd had a hundred sheep. And, and there was one sheep that went off and got lost, and the shepherd did something kind of crazy. He left the sheep, 
And why does he leave the sheep? It's a, it's a picture of church people. He left them because they're good. They know Jesus. They're okay. They, they might, you know, be annoying and have different things, but they're okay. They're not lost. And so he leaves them, and, and he does whatever he can do to find that lost one. Going through thorny bushes and ravines, and, and even if he has to grab that sheep, put it on his shoulder, he's going to do that to bring that, that lost one home so it can be safe again. In the green pastures and the still waters. And so that's what we do. And we're okay to, again, do whatever it takes so that someone might know Jesus. And what has this led to? It reminds me of our holy huddle. Uh, we have about 20 people on average that gather every Sunday saying, Lord, use me. And, and, and we're, we're trying to get to this point where we say, it's not about me. It's about others finding Jesus today. And so we serve. It's a beautiful thing. It's the reason that I've heard from you. And all your efforts to invite other people and all your efforts to show love and, and to serve the community, it's the reason that Amazing Love is a polling place and we have a free garage sale and you'll find us in the business expo and, and we'll wear shirts about our pride for Jesus and our church because we want to do whatever it takes so that lost people can find the hope and the joy that they didn't have before. It's a wonderful mission. Because we need to live worthy. You know, that phrase still sticks with me. Live worthy, live worthy, live worthy. How do I live worthy of the name of Jesus? How do I live worthy when I consider the sacrifice that he paid to buy me? How do I live worthy? You know, it kind of reminds me of trying to be worthy of the status PK. Anyone know what PK stands for? Pastor's kid. I remember growing up and trying to live worthy of PK, pastor's kid, and, and some might know what I'm talking about, and you live in a little of a glass house, don't you? A glass house where uh, you better believe people are watching what you're doing. And when I was in a small town called Beaver Dam, 15,000 people and 2,000 in our church, you better believe people were watching us where we went. And I still remember my mom telling me wherever I went to mind my P's and Q's because manners are really important. People are watching, people are watching. But do you think I could live worthy all the time? I still remember my brother was driving. We're in this car, and we are not getting along, friends. There may have been hitting. There may have been screaming. We are just like, Rah! And I look behind me, and waving at us are members from our church. <laughs> and I did not live worthy of PK that day. It's one thing to live worthy of PK. It's another thing to live worthy of the name Christian, Christ follower, representative of Jesus. And what I find is that, unfortunately, many of us have not always given a shining example of what it is to follow Jesus. You know, the day and age we live in, more and more people say, you know what, I really love Jesus. I'm just not sure about the church or church people. I, I consider all the experiences you might have where church people were more like bratty kids fighting in the back seat than they were the, the love and the encouragement of God, and, and I consider myself included. Which is why the, the center of this gathering is not about me making myself worthy. The center of this gathering and why we have hope and peace is because Jesus made me and Jesus made you worthy. And that's the only way it works. It's the only status. My honor comes from God, not from me. See, see, on the cross, something happened. 
On the cross, there was this moment where the father looked down and he saw Jesus' identity change. His identity became sinful man. And the father, seeing sinful man, had to look away. And Jesus said, why did you forsake me? Because you are sinful man. He became us in that moment. But from that place, the father now looks down. And you know what he sees when he looks at Dustin Bloomer? You know what he sees when he looks at you? Jesus, his son. He sees someone spotless. He sees someone pure, someone holy, someone who has never gotten it wrong all through faith. That's the peace that is yours today. You get to walk out today knowing that when God looks at you, he sees Jesus. It's beautiful. I don't know of anything better. But if it's true that God already sees Jesus, what would it be if more and more the world saw Jesus through me? And that's what Paul wants when he talks. So we know Jesus and only Jesus can make us worthy. But what does that look like? Well, Paul said, live a life worthy of the Lord, please him in every way, bear fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God. So, so what Paul is saying is that you want to live a life worthy, it has to do with your fruitfulness. Fruitfulness. We need to talk about this a little bit. Fruitfulness. So three years I planted a cherry tree. The ash borer tree had died. And three years later, even though I dreamed about my kids picking cherries and making my own cherry pies, and here, neighbors, I have so many. Why not? Three years later, my cherry tree has zero cherries. I don't know if I'm doing it wrong. Probably am. And it kind of reminds me of what happened when Jesus saw a tree that wasn't bearing fruit. For him, it wasn't a cherry tree, it was a fig tree. And I want to, I want to show you what, what he reacted. It, seeing the fig tree by the road, he went up to it, but found nothing on it except leaves. And then he said to it, may you never bear fruit again. Immediately, the tree withered. Now, first I have to pause. I'm like, Jesus, are you just hangry? Like, this seems, it seems extreme, doesn't it? You know, like, you wanted a fig Newton and you're not getting one? Jesus, come on, you fasted 40 days. But then I analyzed why he was doing this with his disciples and what might have been going on. And I do believe what, what he was doing, he was making an illustration. See, what, what he wanted and what's clear throughout the New Testament is that if you are in Christ as a vine connected to, uh, the, the branches connected to the vine, he wants us to bear fruit. And, and so when he sees a tree not bearing fruit, he's saying this is a purposeless tree that should not exist. That's how much he wants fruit. In, in fact, if you don't believe that interpretation, at least believe Jesus' brother James, who says, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. And yet it's so easy not to. It's so easy to put it aside. For, for instance, have you ever been to a conference, and you're at this conference for three days, spent a lot of time and money, uh, this conference made you have tingles down your spine. It, it caused you to, to cry and well up with tears because it was so great information. And you said, Eureka, like, wow, this is amazing so many times. And your binder was full from this con conference. And then you went home and, and, and the binder was full. And you put the binder on the shelf and you do nothing. That's what you do. Nothing. Except for schedule yourself for the next conference where you can fill another binder which will also go on the shelf so you can continue to do nothing. 
So if that's true in the world, is it possible that you can have Christians going from class to class and learning this and that all about uh, how, how to live, all, all about whether uh, it be children or marriage or, or whether it be generosity or all these things, and you know it backwards and forwards, and do you think it's possible to know all that stuff and still do nothing? And our Lord would say that shouldn't be. Our Lord would say you're a fig tree without any figs. That doesn't make any sense. So, so what are the fruits that God wants of us? Well, one fruit is the fruit of repentance. I don't know the last time you realized it, but it's God's goal for you to continue to change. That you shouldn't be who you were yesterday or the year before, but that you're continually refined by the likeness to the likeness of Jesus Christ. And I consider all the people that met with Jesus and did change. Like there's this one woman caught in the act of adultery and everyone else wanted to stone her and punish her for what she did. And, and Jesus said, okay, if you're perfect, you can throw the first stone, if you remember this. And, and none of them threw stones because they weren't perfect, they were honest, and, and they went away. And then Jesus said, neither do I condemn you, but he didn't stop there. Do you know what he said next? He, he said, go and leave your life of sin. He, he said, you know what, that, that piece of forgiveness that, that happens through repentance, that's really, really good. But, but now I want you to go and leave that and never do it again. And then I, I hear the story of Zacchaeus who stole money and now gave money after he met Jesus. And I, I hear the story of the woman at the well who went and told everyone what Jesus had done. And, and I consider Paul's story. And those who meet with Jesus, they tend to change. And that's what God wants of us. Now you might argue with Kanye West and the legitimacy of what's going on in his heart. I leave that up with God. But Kanye West is changing right now. Kanye West was known for not always having pure thoughts and pure words in his music. And now when he goes on his Jesus is King tour, he's telling his production crew, I don't want you looking at pornography. I don't want you having premarital sex. This is Kanye today. Kanye, who is a cognizant of what his children are taking in, taking TVs out of the bedroom and being very cognizant of over what images and messages are going in their minds. Kanye, who says this, you know, I was letting you know what the Hennessy had done for me. Now I'm letting you know what Jesus has done for me. See, if you're in Jesus, watch out. He might bring about change. But it's not just fruits of repentance. You know, I was talking about church people, and, and what's really, really interesting is that the type of people God wants us to be are, are the most attractive people, personality-wise, are, are, are the best workers, the best marriage spouses, the best friends you could ever have. Because God wants from us fruits of the Spirit. And consider what those fruits are. The fruit of the Spirit is love and joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there's no law at all. And so when people look at us, they, they should see these fruits. In fact, my mom had a great phrase. She was talking about some Christians she admires. And, and she said, you know, when they smile, it's almost like you can see Jesus. That's what God wants from us. So, so what is it maybe that, that you should dwell on a little bit? If you're known for being harsh, maybe you should hear God's will is for you to be gentle. If you're known for being unreliable, maybe you need to hear God's will is for you to be faithful. Be so consistent, it's boring. If you're mastered by something, whether it be a bad habit or a substance, God's will for you is to have self-control. 
And what's so great about the fruits of the Spirit, they don't happen because I just put my mind to the grindstone and pull up my boots. No, they happen because of the Spirit of God. They happen as we hear His Word and receive His sacraments. The same fruit He wants, He empowers you to go and to do. But make no mistake, He wants this from us. True fruit. You know, to close today, I want to bring up a man who kind of changed the game when it came to politics. This was a young president who, in his inaugural address, flipped the script. You consider coming into the presidency, and you consider that, that, that moment in time. Now is your chance to say, everything I promised you, I will fulfill. All the demands that you wanted, that's what I'm going to do. Don't worry, I'll make it my life's work to make sure that you're happy. But John F. Kennedy, when he took that stage in 1961, he had some phenomenal words that have still shaped our country. And he said this, ask not what your country can do for you. Ask what you can do for your country. As a politician, I'm here to empower you to make our country better. And he flipped the script. What I love about this series, Dangerous Prayers, is because it's a time to flip the script. That if you've been walking with God and your modus operandi is basically, God, you do for me, maybe it's a chance for you to say, no, God, I do for you. Pastor Craig Rochelle, where we got this series, said, rather than asking God to serve us, what if we told God we're available to serve him? What if tomorrow morning I woke up and I put my cap on and I say, Lord, here I am. I'm the power cord. Don't got a lot, but I got something. Use me. I lower my life to raise you up. Use me. I lose myself for your glory. Use me. What if we pray not only this, but continue to pray, Lord, let me seek your will. Guide me into what it is today as you use me. And Lord, what if we pray, uh, make me bold. Give me strength to walk through whatever fire, whatever difficulty. Give me that superior boldness. If we did all of this, you know it would be dangerous, not our prayer life. Mm -mm. The church of God. The church of God would be a movement of crazy good people. Let that be. And let it start with me. Amen. Please stand. And the peace of God was transmitted.